0: Blue is the color. Welcome to the FPL Blues podcast. I'm your co-host, Brian Chin, out in Oakland, joined with John Bucks in Brooklyn. How are you doing tonight, John? Hey,
1: Brian. What an opening game week. There was so much fun to be had. It was great to have footy back on the television, and we had a great FPL opening weekend, that's for sure.
0: This was an absolute banger to start the season. I've been playing FPL for six seasons now, and this was by far the highest- scoring game week that I've ever come across. So every FPL manager was in the points this weekend. All the big top guns were firing and uh, a lot of other differentials also uh, made a big case to enter your team. So we're super excited to have the football back. The fans in the stands was like a real
1: vibe, a real energy.
0: Uh, what'd you think about that? Uh, it was
1: incredible. Just the, the energy from the stands clearly translated to the action on the pitch. There was an incredible amount of goals. Teams were getting up in fast and furious pace. And yeah, it was a magical FPL weekend, magical weekend for the Premier League. And that brings us really nicely on this episode. We're hoping to keep that magic rolling. We're going to review how our teams perform to start the season. We're then going to dive in to review the matches from the opening weekend. And finally, we're going to discuss our transfer plans while we take a quick look ahead to the Game Week 2 fixture schedule. Brian, let's cue the celebrations and review just how well our teams for FPL performed in this amazing game week one. Why don't you take it away?
0: Look, it was perfect timing for us to uh, you know be launching this podcast and do some preseason hype uh, pods and just talk about the players we were targeting because we both cracked 100 points in the opening game week. So big kudos to both of us. I'll tap uh, myself on the back with 105 points to kick off the season. And it was Ooh. just a good effort all around. Led by my captain, Mohamed Salah, who came in with 17 points. So doubled his 34. Bruno Fernandes, a hat trick on opening day versus Leeds. 20, 20 points. And, uh, you know, really started the season off hot for Manchester United. I also had returns and goals from Greenwood, Ings, and Antonio. And then also got two double cleans from Liverpool defense in TAA and Simikas. And lastly, Luke Ayling comes in with a goal off my bench in the first bench slot and comes in for Veltman. So overall, no complaints at all. 105 points. That's a great way to open up the FPL season. How'd you do, Bucks?
1: Yeah. Incredible, Brian. You bested me by five points, but I still hit the triple digits mark. I ended up on a clean 100 FPL points Ooh, very clean, very clean. You yeah, love loved that. it. It was an amazing game week all around. I had four blanks. I had Rafinha, Shaw, Tony, and Sanchez in goal. They all failed to haul. However, I had Captain Salah and Bru, yes, Bruno Fernandez combined for 54 points, somewhere to Brian. I also had Mikel Antonio, Danny Ings, and Mason Greenwood. NAB attacking returns, and then I had TA and Simikas do the business for clean sheet points. So really strong game week for both of us. We love to see the FPL points trickle in, and it's, it's just amazing to see the amount of really high scores. Obviously, having Bruno and Sala really, really hit the ground running contributed to these big point totals, but even some differentials got in on the action. So there was just a ton of goals and a ton of FPL points to be had. With, I believe the top scored actually had 150 points, with the average being somewhere around Ooh. 70. So, everyone had a good week. Uh, I know our mini league was really competitive. And, you know, Brian's going to give a quick first game week shout out to the manager of the game week. And that goes to?
0: That goes to Simo Lee with 115 points. And he sits firmly at the top of the FPL Blues podcast Super League. So, congrats to Simo. He smashed it. Um, he's actually sitting at 14K Ooh. overall game week one rank, which is incredible. And uh, he had returns across the board from Sala, Bruno, Antonio, Jota, a goal from Cresswell and Ings, and then a huge differential in Richarlson up top, who looked very sharp. So, bar is set extremely high. So, congrats to Simo uh, for that huge output and really a blinding
1: start to the season. Cue the air horns. Congratulations, Team Simo. And next week, we're going to feature the manager of the match for game week two. So make sure to get into that mini league. Again, it's code name N-W-E-E-1-M, all lowercase N-W-E-E-1-M, if you want to join us and get featured on the podcast.
0: Plus, we'll be sending some swag and prizes out for the winner of that as well at the end of the season. So now we're going to take a quick break and come back with some of the recaps of the most important matches of this weekend. We'll be right back.
1: And we're back. We're going to look into the results from game week one and how we totaled such high FPL scores. Let's see what happened on the pitch to lead to those returns. Starting with the opening match of the season, which was a nighttime London Derby Amazing to see, amazing scene at Brentford, a team that returns to top flight football for the first time in ages. There have been fans of the club that haven't been alive since they've last been in the Premier League. So this was great to see. New stadium and the crowd really showed up and, you know, actually the team showed up to really match that energy. They just totally dominated a weakened Arsenal team. And they put them to the sword. They scored in the first half. They scored in the second half. And they were just clearly the better side. So, unfortunately, FPL wise, Ivan Tony unfortunately failed to make a true FPL impact for many managers. He was among the top owned FPL forwards in the game. However, his running mate, Embuemo, 1 million cheaper and playing in the midfield for 5.5 million, he really dazzled. He didn't. Translate that into FPL points, so to speak. But he was just dripping with confidence. He had some swagger. He took on like four Arsenal defenders at one point and still <laughs> got the shot off to hit the post. So he's really a player that's on my watch list going into game week two. And as we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of this season, what did you see here, Brian?
0: I, I wouldn't panic if I was a Tony owner. I thought he looked pretty creative. He had a couple good passes, a couple of good chips. Uh, setting up Mabuemo on a few runs. So he blanks, but there are better days ahead. And the the bees were buzzing. The, the place was rocking. It was so good to see and just have that opening fixtures energy. And it translated to the rest of the teams in the weekend. We had some great matches. And I think with the fans in the stands, I'm just curious if we see more goals because you have the crowd kind of urging players to shoot and to attack rather than pass it back all the time. So it could be a lot different and more high scoring this season compared to last. So very curious to see how that plays out.
1: Yeah, just worth mentioning on the other side of the table was Arsenal. And for them, this was just a very forgettable match. They were short, both Aubameyang and Lacazette, probably their two best attacking players. And they just looked second rate for most of the game. They they had a little bit of deer in the headlights once Brentford went up one goal. And really the only players that I think showed out were Smith Rowe and Kieran Tierney specifically got to kind of put the magnifying glass on Calm Chambers and Pablo Mari in defense they both look total shit and they set up their side for a real tough next couple game weeks because they didn't get points here and now they have to play against both Chelsea and Man City before their schedule kind of starts easing up a little bit so not great week for Arsenal supporters that's for sure.
0: Yeah, and it was just a weird lineup. There was no Lacazette, no Aubameyang. Saka still, you know, coming off the Euros. He made an appearance, maybe at the sixty-fifth or seventieth minute mark. So not your typical Arsenal lineup. So it'll be interesting to see how they rebound. And I could easily see them, you know, going zero for three to start the season, which will put a lot of uh, pressure on Arteta. So watch that space. Um, you know, if you own White, you know, he's a rotating. Defender 4.5, I think he's still fine. They'll have better days ahead of them when their fixtures swing. So just uh, sit tight with those those 4.5 defenders, and um, I wouldn't transfer anybody in from the
1: squad. Agreed. I think that brings us to the next match, which was much more exciting in the goals department, and that was the opening fixture for Saturday morning. Manchester United put up a five spot against Leeds, who... They won 5-1 against Leeds.
0: So I'm officially going to be running on no sleep for the next 38 game weeks. I was up at 4.30 in the morning Pacific time out here on the West Coast, and this match was totally worth it. It did not disappoint in the least. Uh, Bucks, you and I are both tripled up on Manchester United due to their form last season and also just their array of assets at good price points. So we had the likes of Bruno and also Greenwood. And those two players and just their attack in general, fueled by the brilliance of Paul Pogba, who ends up actually on four total assists, which is more than he had of all last season. Uh, he becomes a seventh player all the time in the Premier League to have that many uh, dimes in a single game. So just a truly impressive performance all around for the Manchester United attack. And this is without the likes of Rashford. You know, Sancho subbed on 80th minute just to get a run and int- be introduced to the squad. But no Cavani either. I, I was really, really impressed with the the way that they attacked. And what more can you say? This this game was all about Bruno as a fantasy asset. So many teams going brew, no. And those managers were just reprimanded instantly. And this just really validates the price tag that he has at 12 million. And more importantly, it just highlights his true explosiveness. And that, from an FPL perspective, when you captained him and you got 40 points to start your game week, I mean, truly a remarkable effort. Um, and his, his touch is out of control and his finishing ability. It's just, he's an amazing player to have in the league. Yeah,
1: he's definitely a special player. I think just worth noting from an FPL perspective, Mason Greenwood is a great differential. He played the lone forward officially, and he's a relatively budget midfield option at $7.5 million. I don't think that's going to stay that price for much longer. So that's definitely a player to target. I'm very happy that he's already in my squad. Also worth mentioning, there has been a trend of FPL punditry saying that Bruno and Pogba, when they play next to each other, they kind of cancel out the best aspects of each other game. I think the match against Leeds was a real clear indicator that they can shine playing towards each other's strengths. Pogba looked incredible just turning, pushing the ball upfield, Bruno was in the box a lot more than he was at a lot of points through last season. And to score three goals without a penalty is like blew my mind while I was watching that. So Bruno, hats off to him.
0: Bucks, he had nine goals from open play last season. So in the opening week, he already has a third of that total. And I think he's just a player that if you didn't start with him, you're going to have to figure out a way to bring him into your squad. He just has the fixtures right now. He's got the form. I think he was a little bit upset during the Euros not to get as much playing time on the Portugal side, and he looks fresh and just really locked in. So a huge uh, captaincy option for next week as well. Yeah,
1: just worth mentioning, 15% of managers went with Bruno captain instead of Sala. So major, major kudos to those players who had the balls to kind of go differential right from the outset. and. Just also worth highlighting, Leeds actually did have a number of chances on goal. To score one, you know, they, they wipe out the clean sheet for United. But I just think it's worth highlighting that Leeds is a different defensive team away from home. So this kind of stays true to the way that they were trending last season. And, you know, United being so clinical in this match really showcased some of the issues with trusting Leeds. They play a very open style play. They invite that pressure. Sometimes that leads to Melier making tons of saves and getting on bonus points. But when that's not working out and the other team is putting the ball in the back of the net, this can often happen. So I wouldn't panic as of yet, but you just really see that Man United is coming into the season with the engine purring. So something to monitor. Definitely, Brian and I are thrilled with the Man United triple up.
0: Yeah, and that was something, you know, after we did our preview pods of our team reveals, uh, I was actually originally on Rafinha. But then I got news that John Stones was unlikely to start. So I upgraded Rafinha to Greenwood, thinking that Manchester United was going to win that match and Greenwood would be involved. So uh, a smart play for me that worked out really well. And uh, I downgraded essentially Stones to Ailing, who nails a goal. So very happy all around from an FPL perspective from this game. So let's move on to Burnley and Brighton to quickly touch on this. A goal was scored in the second minute. and. I, I instantly stopped uh, paying attention to the game because I had Sanchez in goal. You feel me there, Bucks?
1: Yeah, as did I. This was uh, a quick watch. I just watched the highlights, but have to credit. It was a gutsy comeback from Brighton. They concede a, a probably a questionable goal. I think maybe last season with the more egregious VAR rules, this goal by Tarkovsky probably gets waved off. He did pretty clearly go through the defender to head the ball home.
0: Yeah, he he shoved him in the back. I, I was very surprised that that goal stood. Um, and I, obviously, as a Sanchez owner, was a little bit uh, upset there that they didn't uh, review that. Yeah,
1: but you know what? Brighton responded. I think they were the better team on the day. So they deserve the three points. Mope, who I saw some managers actually had him in their squad. He was like not even close to being on my radar, but he has a goal. And Beltman not being there. Duffy, who's a 4.0 defender, gets the start. So just this is a team to watch. I think there are a lot of well-priced FPL assets on Brighton. And in general, the FPL community has has their ears pricked to what's going on at the Amex. So again, Burnley kind of, we know what they are and Brighton, great showing.
0: Yeah. And it was a total surprise not to see Veltman in the side because he's one of the highest rated 4.5 million pound defenders. And, you know, due to personal reasons, the team did not share in the press conference that he would be out due to COVID protocols. But I expect Beltman to be back on the side. And Duffy is an aging player. Beltman's going to come straight back in once he clears those protocols. From the looks of it, he doesn't actually have COVID and is just uh, following those protocols. So I expect him to be back very soon here. And if you have him, just keep him on your bench or um, even maybe start him next week, depending on the team news, because he will be um, a big part of that Brighton defense.
1: Absolutely. Next up, our team, Chelsea Blues. They dominate Crystal Palace going 3-0. Woo. It was just from the get-go, Crystal Palace had no chance. Chelsea was dominating possession. They were in Palace's final third. And honestly, only scoring three goals probably let Crystal Palace off the hook a little bit here. Even Tuchel was saying that they were kind of shortchanged. They probably should have had four or five if... They were more clinical a la Manchester United. But players worth highlighting. Marcus Alonso, holy cow, what a free kick. That was an unbelievable left footed finish from a dead ball position. He opens up the scoring.
0: The goalie was completely frozen. Did did not even move. And that's that's when you know you hit a perfect finish. Exactly.
1: Kick. The wall stood no chance. It was just looped perfectly right into the the near corner. So that was an amazing finish. Christian Pulisic, right place, right time. He gets a tap-in goal. And then, holy cow, this Chaloba guy coming out of nowhere. His first match on the first team at Stamford Bridge. He gets a clean sheet, and he has probably the goal of his career having a total rocket from outside the box into the far <laughs> corner. So massive performance. Very safe to say that it was a goal of his career if it was his first start for, for Chelsea. <laughs> but, you know, he's probably scored some goals it, coming up in the youth team. But this was just a cracker of a shot. And it was just unbelievable the way his confidence for such a young player coming into the team. You know, he has won a trophy already, which is one of the perks of winning the Super League Cup or whatever it's called, the Champions Cup. So he's played two (laughs) matches for Chelsea. He already has a trophy. On the negative side, we are still waiting on Timo Werner. We're waiting on Werner. We're going to be saying that probably a lot this season. But uh, Lukaku is official. So I think Brian and I, being part of the bandwagon, we are just really optimistic on what's in store for Chelsea this season. Palace, not so much.
0: Yeah, not so much on Palace side. But I think Werner, Pulisic, Kai they're all going to get some really kind of tap-in types of goals this season. When I think about the upside for Werner, it'll be kind of playing off of the hold-up man in Lukaku, who's strong and can you know hold back those center backs. And then he'll be able to sprint and hopefully get some clear shots on goal. So I'm, I'm still very bullish on Timo once Lukaku's in the side and playing on the left um, should be a very fascinating instead of him playing you know more centrally. Looking forward to that. And from a Crystal Palace point of view, New manager, lots of new faces across the club. Uh, I think that you know, they'll have some scrappy games coming up, and this was just a really tough fixture to open the season for them.
1: Agreed, agreed. Let's go to another team that had a tough run of it, which was Southampton. They lose 1-3 to three versus Everton. So Everton scores three goals. I think coming into the last day of the game week, Everton was looking like the surprise standout. I know they proved me wrong. They must've heard me uh, really shouting at the potential trap that Everton could be with the new manager and you know some of their key players in midfield being out, potentially Richarlison missing this match, potentially DCL nursing an injury. And they just proved me totally wrong. Richarlison showed he was one of the standout performances of the match week. He had a goal assist, he had 11 FPL points, and it was interesting because I actually think that we've been hearing a lot about how these guys that played a lot this summer need a lot of rest, but he's match fit and he's coming in, so I think the rest would have been bad for Roacharlison. He's already a step ahead of most of his teammates, and it showed on the pitch, so really strong showing from him, and DCL classy finish to get seven FPL points. He actually had the most shots in the box of any player this game week. So Everton really, really performed. Southampton on the other side, they do kind of nab a bunny goal. Everton defense, being Everton defense, they have another blunder and they just allow Adam Armstrong to walk into a pretty classy finish, but uh, otherwise an easy goal. So I just have Southampton. They're on my mind match week in, match week out, they're going to be one of the teams that I'm probably going to target for FPL points moving forward this season. Anything to add here, Brian?
0: Richarlison looked very impressive, especially, like you said, played in the Copa, played in the Olympics. But I think he's just a very confident player. So when things are going right for him, he looks really, really good out there on the pitch. So he's a player that, again, He's been in the Premier League now four seasons or so, so you're kind of expecting him entering his mid-20s to potentially take the leap, and he has some great tools. So it'll be really interesting to see if he becomes another player in that 7.5 million pound bracket that we can consider for our teams. And if he can figure out the dynamic to work with DCL and put in balls like that on a platter for DCL to head in, they'll actually probably scrape through a few more victories than we had originally thought. Uh, Yeah,
1: just one quick mention. I thought watching this game, especially when I was diving into the highlights, that Richarlison really looked like he was filling the Lingard role when he was playing alongside Antonio for West Ham last season. And, you know, he's technically listed as a forward in the FPL game, but he's taking up this advanced, creative midfield spot and just driving, driving the ball forward, going at the opposition net. And that gives you a lot of chances to score FPL points. You can get bonus pretty easily because you're controlling and making a lot of runs. And then he's crossing the ball to probably one of the best finishers in the air in DCL. So definitely Richarlison, if he's not already on your watch list, that's an easy add. I wouldn't make any drastic moves as of yet, but worth noting Everton have great fixtures and Richarlison really looked the part today.
0: Let's move along and talk about Leicester in their 1-0 victory versus Wolves. Vardy party is back on Bucks. New season, new Vardy party. The 34-year-old
1: still out here uh, acting like a 21-year-old and partying and getting those goals. Yeah, he even broke out his uh, hand air horn during his celebration. So that was a classy striker's finish. He came kind of across the near post, headed the ball into a different part. It was just an amazing finish. Really impressive. Notably, Leicester actually had zero big chances on the match. So This really should have been a 0-0 or 1-1 match, but Leicester and Vardy specifically were just much more clinical than Wolves. You know, Harvey Barnes has been a player we've been mentioning. He looked okay, I would say. It's a little disappointing that he didn't get the full 90, but he's still working into full match form post-injury. And then on the other side of the ball, Wolves, Jimenez kind of looked like a cross-off. He didn't look like he was making a real impact. On the other hand, Adama Traore at 6 million, he was everywhere. He looked incredible. He had a couple one on zeros around Schmeichel's box. Unfortunately, his finishing just wasn't up to par. He scuffed two pretty excellent chances at at least tying the game, if not bringing Wolves ahead for the three points. So he's one that's definitely on.
0: He could have easily been on a brace this game in 15 points uh, in a Wolves victory. So just missed the post both both times in those kind of key areas and it'll be interesting to see as this you know new manager helps evolve a team uh what Wolves become I think Jimenez again they have fixtures coming up kind of game week three and onwards game week four and onwards so he might be somebody that is again he's coming back from a very very scary injury and the two prior seasons he had 23 and 24 total FPL returns so this is a player that once he kind of gets back into the routine of playing in the Premier League, I think he's going to be right on there uh, our, our radars for those 7.5 million pound strike.
1: For sure, for sure. He definitely has it in him. It's just that, uh, you know, like you said, that was a scary injury. I thought probably his career might unfortunately be over. But it's good to have him back and just good to see that he's running out there. But for me, watching this game, Adama was the one who jumped off the screen. So I think with that, we're going to take a quick break. And we're going to wrap up the rest of the matches when we come back in just a second.
0: Welcome back to the FPL Blues podcast. Now we're going to talk about Watford's shocking 3-2 win versus Villa. Another promoted team looks incredibly impressive as they pounced to an early 3-0 lead in this match. And then Villa kind of got a few late goals. But... This was a very impressive performance from a newly promoted team to score three goals. Emmanuel Dennis at 5.0, striker, uh, came in with a goal and assist, and he totaled 12 points. And then we also saw Saar, who is in a a fair amount of teams at 6.0. He came in with nine points, and he looks like a a player that's definitely going to be on our radars this season.
1: Yeah, the, those two goals by Villa don't let the scoreline deceive you. Those were pure garbage time goals. They were totally meaningless. Uh, you know, whoa, 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 Bucks, Bucks. They're not all meaningless because you and
0: I both own Ings, and that 96 minute penalty gave us a whopping seven points. He had no shots in the game, not a single shot, and then he gets sneaks onto the bonus, very cheeky. I love to see that kind of output from my uh, my team.
1: That's fair. FPL wise, all the goals, all the all the contributions have meaning. But in real life, on the pitch, you know, it's disappointing for Watford. They really dominated that match. I think they should have been rewarded with the way that they played with uh, a more convincing return. Let's just say that. But uh, three points are three points. I think really smashing results for both Brentford and Watford. And that actually brings us pretty nicely to the next match, which was the third promoted side, Norwich faced off against Liverpool, and they just got absolutely blasted 3-0. Brian?
0: This was a match going into it. Everybody who had captained Bruno, you know, has already got 40 points on the board. So us captainers of Salah were like, we need at least like 10 points to even kind of salvage this. And lo and behold, Mo Salah does what he does on opening day, and he delivers an absolute monster haul with a goal and two assists. And he sets a new record for scoring for the fifth straight opening match in Premier League history. And boy, he, he, was, he was a player that I thought could have been a little bit more selfish. He had a couple opportunities to actually shoot. And you know, at the end of the match, I was like, it was maybe the 85th minute and he had an opportunity to bag another goal. And I'm just yelling at the TV, shoot it, shoot it. And he keeps laying it off. But good to see him appreciating his, his teammates and wanting to get them involved in this, in this match. And we also saw goals from Jota in the first half, and then he subbed out kind of at the like 60th minute mark, and that was that was also confusing because I think Bucks you were like, oh, is he going to be part of the 59th minute club? Is he going to miss out on the clean sheet points and the the points you get for playing 60 plus minutes? And it was just right on the dot that he he got in, and then Firmino scored within 10 minutes of coming onto
1: the pitch. So Liverpool looks very strong on the attack. I would say. Yeah, the Egyptian king doing what he does best delivering FPL points to our squad he totals 17 points so he's trailing bruno but you know i think for the majority of us that had sala captain you're very happy with that output and he just looked the part he looked great as brian said there was absolutely opportunity for him to score even bigger but you know 34 points let's not get too greedy and with the jota thing with the jota point <laughs> The sub happened while it was still the 58th minute. So that was a masterful, slow walk through the whole midfield, kind of clapping at the crowd, high-fiving your teammates. All of a sudden, it's 60 minutes and a couple seconds that Firmino's actually coming on the pitch. And you're just like, what the hell did I just watch? That was, that was masterful (laughs) shithousery. And, you know, worth, worth pointing out, I think Firmino really looked incredible when he came on, but... It's just there's so much doubt who's going to be the guy that Pep goes with week in, week out with that position. There really is two legit guys for one spot in that team.
0: Bucks, I think you're getting your your roulettes mixed up. This is Klopp roulette, not Pep roulette. Yeah, very fair,
1: (laughs) very fair. And, you know, worth shouting out Simikas. He took all the corner kicks that Robertson would have taken. And him and Trent Alexander-Arnold both... They looked really attacking. I have to say Simikas was even better than I thought he would be. So they get the clean sheet and the six points, each of them. I think that was a fair return and just needs to be mentioned that Simikas actually took more corner kicks on the day than Trent did. So something to monitor. He's 3.5 million cheaper at 4.0 playing defender. And it's looking like Robertson, listen, optimistically, he's back game week three, game week four. But I think Liverpool have serious aspirations of being title contenders this season. And if I was in Klopp's shoes, I would not rush him back. So I think if you have Simikas, ride that train while you can. He's going to be in my starting lineup at least for the next two game weeks. And, you know, after that, we'll have to start making some difficult decisions.
0: Yeah, I think you missed the the pun right there, Klopp's Klopp Hoppers or something. You know, uh, I think uh, <laughs> for, for us as Simikas owners, you know, I was really toying around with the opportunity that this is a 4.0 player starting on one of the best teams in the league. And it's just for a finite amount of time. So I had tinkered with Jota being in my squad and I think I'd really rate him. I think he's a great player, but he's a player that I can get later on in the season. This semi 4.0 opportunity is a small window. So for FPL managers who took a gamble on him, they were rewarded. I thought it was also interesting to see that Milner also started this match So there was a little bit of rumors that maybe Milner would play in that left back position at times, but I think Simikas has the confidence of his manager and he's going to start until Rabo's coming back. And that's something for us to keep an eye on as well. Yeah. The
1: Curtis Jones concussion really allowed Milner and Simikas to play. And as Brian mentioned, it's just worth noting that if you actually watch this match, they interchange positions a lot. So there was Tons of times when Simikas was playing on the wing as kind of that de facto midfield role that Milner was slotted into based on his role in the starting lineup, with Milner kind of being the more veteran player taking up those defensive responsibilities. So definitely a duo to watch. I think Liverpool are have great fixtures, a la Man United. And you just you have to be backing these teams that have the cupcake matches while they do. And you're gonna pulling the FPL points by the bundle. So that's what a lot of managers did this game week. Hence, so we had a lot of big scores. Next
0: match. I felt very fortunate that we got the double clean from Liverpool defense because in the 85th minute, Allison makes a wonder save and bats out a like a really just a shot inside the seven yard box that really could have gone anywhere else to the side. But he just got a hand on and then he bats it out. But that was a moment where I was like, oh my goodness, am I going to go from 12 points to four points between my two defenders? So I felt a little bit fortunate there. And if they're playing a, a better side, um, it'll be interesting to see how VVD continues to hold up. He had his first match after that huge uh, knee surgery. So it'll be interesting to see how he copes with an actual attacking side and how his match fitness uh, comes into play. But they have the easy fixtures to start the season. So back Liverpool defense day in and day out.
1: For sure. Good shout. Next match we have to review is West Ham 4, Newcastle 2. And to my eyes, this was the most exciting match of the game week. It had a little bit of everything. And West Ham, holy cow, they showed out. They were the highest XG of any side. Uh, That's expected goals. One of the advanced stats we'll sometimes be referring to. But they had the highest one of the entire game week. And it actually you know, wasn't looking so promising to start out. I would say Newcastle was really, really strong in the opening part of the match. And they opened the scoring through Town, the Truth Wilson, a differential 7.5 forward player who tends to start really hot. So that's just something to continue to monitor, put him on your watch list. Uh, but then a couple minutes later, Cresswell, he he was also one who's been listening to the podcast. He heard us talking about how we were backing Sioux fall over him for goals. Cresswell's legendary for his assists, but hasn't really been able to put the ball in the back of the net himself. He has an amazing shot into the far corner. It looked like it might have hit two or three different players before it made its way into the net, but he gets a beauty to level the scoring and gets seven points. And then West Ham really just poured on from there. Ben Rama had a goal and an assist for 12 points. Suchek nails a goal for seven points. And honestly, they both probably could have had more more contributions than that. And then Miguel, Miguel Miguel Antonio. I can never get this right. (laughs) Miguel Antonio was the man of the match. He has two assists and a goal. He misses a penalty kick, which then turns into an assist. So one step back, two steps forward. He looked incredible. (laughs) And uh, yeah, he ends up on max bonus with 13 points. So I think he's one who's a lock in my team. He looked the part just one to monitor. I think it's worth taking an extra second to shout out Saeed Ben Rama. He's officially playing the Jesse Lingard role at man at, excuse me, at West Ham right now, you know, Lingard staying at man United for this season, but there's tremendous potential in backing Ben Rama at 6.0 in your midfield. He's going to get a lot of opportunities in the box creating for Antonio and assuming Antonio stays healthy he's probably going to be part of a really (laughs) high-scoring duo.
0: I don't think you can ever do that, though, Bucks. We can't assume that Antonio's hamstrings aren't going to fall right off his legs and onto the pitch at any moment. So for now, ride him while he's hot. I think, again, we're very fortunate that the FPL rules are set up that even though he missed the penalty, that his teammate followed it up, so he gets an assist for that because it's a shot on target that was then put into the back of the net by a teammate. So usually... You know, when a player misses a penalty kick, their baseline bonus drops completely. So he was fortunate to have his teammate finish that, which increased his baseline bonus. And the bonus system is is another conversation for a, a different day. But to have him still end up with 13 points was huge, as he was a, really a template pick, and he delivered. Yeah,
1: he hit he hit a, a header that went that hit the post at like a million miles an hour. So he really could have even gone bigger. And just worth pointing out, you know, I, I shouted at Ben Rama. We both sung the praise of Mikel Antonio. They had six big chances between the two of them today. Ooh. So, you know, West Ham is probably going to be a team that needs to score a lot of goals to get three points for most of their matches. And they showed they can do it, at least at the opener at Newcastle. So great match, uh, really entertaining one. And that brings us to the game of the weekend. At Spurs, which was City versus Tottenham. And Spurs pulled it out 1 0 through our boy, Young Min Song, hero of the day in front of the Pac Stadium. Brian, what did you see in this one?
0: Oh, sunny boy, all smiles, so clinical. He's such a special talent. And he's a player that, you know, once this cane dust settles, he's going to be playing out of position. You know, at 10 million, he's going to be playing striker. And he has the ability to score goals from anywhere on the pitch. And that is you know, something that not a lot of strikers have, to be able to clinically finish from even outside of the box. And he's a player that I'm definitely eyeing for my team coming up here. The rest of the game, unfortunately, I took a punt on Mares, and he blanks in this match. City as a whole looked very lackluster, I thought, until kind of towards the very end when KDB came in to pull the strings. I think last season as well, City started out very slow. After the first eight game weeks, they were in 14th place. So this is a team that will right the ship and will come good. But this next fixture versus Norwich, I'm expecting them to pull out all the stops and, and beat them with four or plus goals. So Pep's going to be a little upset with his, with his squad after this loss. Not getting very many shots at all. Jack Grealish was getting tackled all over the place. Sterling was getting pushed in the back. And they were getting roughed up a bit, but they couldn't really string together uh, important plays to actually get in the box and get shots off on target. So you got to hand it to um, Nuno for getting this team organized. You know, they have a lot of drama on their plate at the moment. So they stayed focused and defensively, uh, Tanganga and a few of their other players, Hoiberg, they really played extremely well versus a top top play team. Yeah,
1: Tenganga put in a real shift. He shut down Grealish, Maras, and Sterling at other points in the match. So he was one who really jumped off the screen. I think it's just notable that Grealish got the start, even though he's so new to the club. And it's just honestly, as a, as a football fan, it's hard to see this Harry Kane situation going down and it being so magnified with this match being the opening weekend, where he's rumored to be going to City imminently, and he doesn't even show up to be on the match day squad. You know, he puts the coaches, he puts the players in a tough situation for Spurs. But, you know, to Spurs' credit, they look the much tighter team. And it's hard to not be in Sonny Boy's corner. He's just always smiling. He looks like football brings him such joy. And it's just hard to not be his fan. So he gets 10 points for FPL owners. And I have to say that the sights of the Spurs stadium being a total packed house And with this kind of marquee matchup happening on the field, it was incredible to watch. So kudos to all the Spurs fans who are listeners and, uh, you know, great result. I think it was honestly, it was interesting to see that probably City need Harry Kane at this point in time, maybe more than Spurs do based on the way that this match looked on the field. So (laughs) that's a, that's a funny tidbit Um, for FPL managers. Just worth noting right now, before Kane, Again, before this move goes through, Ferran Torres, who's a 7 million pound midfielder, he's playing as the false nine role for City. Gabriel Jesus comes off the bench, doesn't sub him out. So I think Ferran Torres has to be on your watch list if he continues to get that role. You know, Phil Foden is out injured. So there's a lot of minutes potentially for Ferran Torres with a highly attacking side leading the line. So just one to earmark uh, at a very affordable price.
0: Yeah, and again, I just want to give props to Nuno. He was maybe what, the sixth or seventh choice to manage Spurs and
1: probably like tenth or eleventh, if we're being true.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. And to leave Wolves and come in and really just get this team prepared for this match and to come up with three points versus Manchester City is an incredible first opening debut for him. So more more to come on the Spurs side. And it'll be interesting to see. If Kane does move, what they do with all that money, who are they going to be able to get um, in the next transfer window? You know, they're going to have to have to spend that money someplace to improve their team. So I'm very um, curious to see how that plays out for, for Spurs down the line. But I think that's a good point for us to wrap up on. And then we're going to take a quick break and come back with a few community questions and talk about our transfers for the key matches coming up this weekend.
1: And we're back. As Brian mentioned before the break, we're going to tackle some of your most pressing questions, as well as discuss Brian and I's transfer plans, as well as the key matches to target and watch for game week two. Let's dive into the questions from our FPL Blues podcast, Super League community. Thanks,
0: Buck. So Matt Stoddard asks, is it worth jumping on the Pogba bandwagon straight away? Or was that one of his typical once-in-a-season type of performances where everything goes right for him? What are your thoughts on that question, Bucks?
1: Yeah, I'm going to actually lump this into a bigger thought process, which is, is it worth knee-jerking players in general after one week? So I think Pogba, he looked great, but this is like the stars-aligned kind of match for him. You know, He makes the clinical pass, and the players are incisive and clinical, and so he gets the assist. I would say probably don't be expecting him to be getting four assists, even a return every match. However, he is surrounded by probably the best man United team he's ever played on. So there's something to be said about him being protected at the back by both McTominay and Fred, as well as having those horses to go forward, like Bruno, like Mason Greenwood and others. So he's definitely one to watch. He's at a price point, which is very palatable at 7.5 million. So Again, I, I wouldn't make a, a rash move as of yet. I mean, Brian and I, we can't because we already tripled up on Man United, but he's definitely someone that I would be considering and tracking how he's looking and how he's playing going forward. And, you know, we've mentioned a couple other players. Just be patient. You picked your game with one team for a reason. So ro- ride the wave.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, typically you want to get at least like three or four games of data to kind of understand where players' positions are how nailed they are and how they're interacting with their teammates on the pitch. So Pogba is the type of player, especially if things are going right and he's smiling and he's having a great time. Like I was criticizing him early because he missed a, a opportunity to put the ball in the back of the net. That would have been a greenwood assist. And I thought he was going to have a, you know, down game from there. And then he completely turns on his wizardry and was a truly master class performance from him. But he's somebody Keep them on your watch list. It, it's really going to be interesting how they rotate all of these players in once Sancho becomes more involved as well, Rashford and Cavani and Martial. So they have a lot of good players that Pogba can service. So he being that kind of playmaker type of role and can coexist with Bruno should definitely be on your watch yeah, list.
1: And also shout out Matt Stoddard with the first question of our FPL Blues podcast, Super League he's on 110 points. So way to smash the game weekend and put up a huge haul.
0: 110. Very impressive, Matt. All right, let's jump into the next question from Patrick McMichael, who's joining the conversation. And this is also, you know, targeted to the 5.5 to 6.5 midfield bracket. You know, he didn't have a chance to watch those performances, but he's curious on who is a contender versus who is a pretender in that uh, those cheap midfield options. So Bucks, who did you see in that kind of price tag region, and who would you recommend that our listeners go after?
1: Sure. So I think it's worth highlighting five players in this price range. Uh, the first, uh, and clearly probably top of mind, would be Saïd Ben-Rama on West Ham. His running mate, Thomas Suchek, also $6 million, uh, also had a great match. He was all around him. You know, with Cresswell feeding the ball from set pieces, he's going to have a lot of opportunities to display his aerial skills on the season for West Ham. Next up would be Ismail Saar from Watford. who put up nine points, really strong game, probably could have even had a bigger haul. And the last two are more potential picks. They were players who, they really looked the part, but they didn't necessarily deliver the FPL points. And that's Adama Traore at $6 million. And Embuemo on Brentford, he's a player who I've been singing his praises for a while now. And he made me look pretty smart despite my other poor takes. And he's 5.5 million. So uh, (laughs) those are kind of the players that I'm looking at on my watch list. But as I mentioned earlier, I'm just going to wait and see, I think, to make there be more data to pull from before I make any any transfers. Yeah,
0: I'm excited about this bracket of players that we have that we can downgrade some of our you know 7.5 million pound midfielders like a uh, greenwood when all the log jam from united starts up again and there's some great options out there i think ben Rama is going to be set for a price raise this week i'd be very surprised if he does not rise in price so just keep track of that you know he's probably going to be 6.1 million and obviously we're at the very first week of fpl but players prices can change every single day uh, based on the demand and the selling and signing of different uh, players. So make sure to keep track of that when you're kind of planning your your transfers and checking out the site to see what players have been increased in price. But ben Rama would be number one in that bracket. For yeah,
1: me. worth mentioning that it looks like Ilkai Gundogan, who's 7.5 million, he had a small shoulder problem and had to come off and he's Ugh. being evaluated. So if I was a Gundogan owner, I would probably downgrade and bank that extra $1.5 and take a punt on one of these players. First on that list, as we mentioned, would probably be Ben Rama. He looked the part.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great call. I, I saw some news on Twitter that that looks to be a little bit more of a serious injury that's going to keep him out for a few matches. So Ben Rama would be an easy choice uh, to include in your team. Downgrade and bank that money for improving your team elsewhere.
1: All right. Next question was also from Patrick McMichael. He's been busy and uh, he was asking if he should overreact to some of the big FPL point totals and activate his wild card right now. <laughs> not sure how serious he's being, but...
0: I think he's being cheeky there, but the key is to not knee-jerk and just really back the team that you chose and make you know one or two changes. I will note that there are a couple international breaks where we will see the larger FPL community Go and activate their first half wild card that would be after game week three and then after game week seven. So, I'm really targeting game week seven, you know, into game week eight on that second international break to play my first wild card because Chelsea and City have a big uh, fixture swing that managers will want to uh, hop on. So, definitely, you know, sit tight, back your players, but. Try and make those changes, you know, one at a time or bank your transfer so you can make two changes and not do too many hits this early in the season.
1: All right. And with that, we get to our last question from Kev Johnson. Again, thank you to the FPL Blues podcast, Super League Managers, for contributing and getting involved to help us with this episode. He asks, Lukaku coming in at $11.5 million and Harry Kane potentially going to City at $12.5 million. How are you thinking about them and are you looking to bring them into your team as soon as they are confirmed to play brian i'll let you take this
0: it's great to have those two potentially you know at new teams we're still waiting for the Kane news but i think bucks and i are pretty you know pretty convinced that that's going to happen and just looking at the wealth of talent on the manchester city side and just the fact that kane loves to play every single game I would still have to take Kane over Lukaku just because he can also playmake for his other teammates. He won the Golden Assist Award last season for the most assists in the FPL. I think he would be my number one target at the premium price for your forward line. It's going to be really hard for me to get him in or get either of those players in, frankly, based on the kind of setup where I've spread out a lot of my funds. So when I use my first wild card, that will likely be the time that I bring in one of those heavy hitters from a Lukaku point of view we've kind of seen Tuchel ease in new players to the system and not start them right away and so that kind of puts me off a little bit obviously you've paid you know nearly 100 million pounds for the guy to you know come to Chelsea but i just want to see him on the pitch a little bit with the team and how they set up their structure and their formations how he works with Werner Mounts etc but Kane i think is just such a proven talent in the Premier League that he could be straight into the squad tomorrow for City and start the next. Yeah, it's
1: an interesting thing. Actually, I'm going to take maybe the devil's advocate and, and align head and heart for me. I think Lukaku is probably the better value. You're going to have to really transform the way that you're setting up your FPL squad. I just think 11.5 million for Lukaku, he's going to be fit into a very established Chelsea system under Tuchel. So I think he's going to be the man at the center of all of this action with a lot of creative players running alongside of him. You know, City play a very unique and it's almost like jazz. They they're all kind of illustrating off one another. They're they're coming, you know, everything's a feel and a touch kind of situation. So I think Lukaku's actually going to have a big season and bonus, I think that Lukaku might come into the squad and be on penalties because as we saw Jorginho isn't going to be an every-game-week player, so I think that if Lukaku is going to play, he's probably going to be our first-choice penalty kick-taker, and I love that. I think that he has a lot of creative players alongside him, and he's going to be the clear tip of the spear. So if I could only get one, again, Brian mentioned, we're both pretty much locked out of getting them, at least for now, but if I could only get one, I'd probably back Lukaku. I think he's going to take Chelsea's attack to a whole nother level. Kane is he's going to be you know City are going to score tons of goals but I just think they have a little more finishing talent around Kane so that the goals might be harder to predict
0: yeah definitely wait and see but excited to see both of those players debut this season even if Kane does end up staying on Tottenham he's still going to be a major force in the league so wait and see how this turns out and thanks again for sharing those questions with us And we're going to take our last quick break here and then come back with our transfer plans and captaincy options, as well as the top matches to target. We'll be right back.
1: And we're back. We're going to look ahead to game week two and the matches we think are worth targeting for FPL points. And we're also just going to give a quick hat tip to the matches that we think are most intriguing from a fan perspective for game week two.
0: Looking at the first match, Liverpool versus Burnley, is going to be very interesting to see if people, Captain Mohamed Salah, he's coming off of a brilliant performance, but he actually has a terrible record versus Burnley, and he hasn't scored in his last five matches versus Burnley, so somehow Tarkowski and me are able to keep him at bay and Pope swats away his shots. It's hard to ignore his form, obviously, but I am a little bit concerned just based on this this random stat that he hasn't scored against Burnley. Uh, what do you yeah, think in there, Bucs? it's bizarre
1: Bucks? that Burnley is the side that's actually his kryptonite. But uh, listen, I, I'm still going to obviously start him. He'll probably, he's in consideration to be captain every game week, and this matchup is no different. You know, no better time to break the, the bad, the curse, the bad streak, than the present. But uh, it's just something to note. Uh, he didn't score in either of the, fixtures last season or the season before so uh, just one to monitor but obviously new team new season so
0: this game is at home at Anfield so in front of the home crowd I think that's really going to boost them as well you know having just played away at Norwich so this is the first time that the fans are going to be packed in Anfield and it's typically been a huge advantage for them over the years so that could buoy his, uh, his potential Yeah, as I was well. going to
1: say, on the flip side, it is the opening match. It's uh, I think it's at 7.30 a.m. Eastern time, 4.30 a.m. Brian's time. So, you know, often, I would say, one of the learnings I had from my first season of FPL is it's not so fun to captain a player who you're not going to be able to watch or to have your captain play so early that you don't get to watch or enjoy the rest of the matches because you're nervous about how everyone else is producing. But Bruno, obviously... <laughs> broke that rule for game week one. So I think, you know, Salah has the potential to make that a silly rule game week two against Burnley.
0: Moving on to Southampton versus Manchester United. I think this is a great opportunity for folks to captain Bruno. He's going to be obviously highly captained by the community, but it makes a lot of sense. They are not going to be with Vestergaard who looks to be moving to Leicester. And so there are just a lot of new faces on this Southampton team. I have no idea how they're going to stay up this year, to be honest. Um, so I think this is this is another game where United scores at least three goals, and you would have to think Bruno would be involved.
1: Agreed. I think it's a very bizarre move from the leadership of Southampton, essentially fire-sailing a lot of their key assets right as the season is about to start. But uh, they still have Ward Prowse. They have this new guy, Adam Armstrong, who's one of the classiest finishers in the top flight of football but I just don't think they have nearly enough firepower to hang with Manchester United. And like Brian said, I think this is going to be another steamroll. And at least speaking for myself, Bruno is likely to be my captain going into game week two.
0: And another match we want to talk about is an angry Pep versus Norwich. I think this is something that could get a little bit out of hand. And I could see them pouring on four or five goals in this one after you know losing... Uh, to Sonny Boy and Tottenham, I think they're going to come out really guns blazing. I almost think that KDB is going to start this next match, even though he's coming off of a bit of an ankle tweak, and really kind of make sure that they get off to a hot start in this match. So you could look at you know potentially captaining you know Grealish or Mares, but to me, I think Mares would be the better differential captain option because I think Grealish is really he's the assist to the assister right? He's, he's kind of going to be playing a little bit deeper. It looked like to me in, in this game versus Spurs where he was tracking back a bit, getting the ball, helping move it forward, but not really making a ton of key passes. So something to monitor as we watch uh, him get more minutes at City.
1: Yeah. I want to just echo what Brian said. City were clearly a different team when KDB came onto the pitch. He looked healthy in the minutes he played. So I would expect...
0: Oh, he's, he's so good. He's
1: so good. Yeah. He's a magician. Instantly, just
0: watching him on the pitch and the, the passes that he can make and the, the angles, you, you're just witnessing a classy player at all times. So he's, he's somebody that, who can really be a game changer.
1: Yeah, so again, I think based on the way that they showed out against Spurs or didn't show out against Spurs, I think that City are going to come in highly motivated to take it to the newly promoted side in Norwich. Uh, I think it's interesting. That I, this was a quip that I had watching that game. I think City are going to set new records for being the most foul team in Premier League history because (laughs) they have Grealish, they have KDB, they have so many players that just love to have the ball at their feet and invite pressure, invite the opportunity to slide in on them. So something to watch.
0: Yeah, Sterling, Sterling as well, right? Exactly.
1: So I think Norwich, if they're going to have any chance, they're going to have to take a page out of Spurs playbook and really muck up this game and kind of play with a little bit of uh, a chip on their shoulder. Billy Gilmore, Make some of those hard slide tackles. But I think you got city players into your FPL squad targeting this match. So you're probably, if you have a Mares, if you have a Grealish, you probably have to be bold and captain them here. I think that's a great challenge.
0: Yeah, good opportunity, especially if you're in my position. I also own Sala and Bruno. So Mara's is definitely in my thoughts for potential captaincy. All right,
1: on to the most intriguing matches from a fan's perspective. I think there are three real standouts. The first is the Nuno De Santo Invitational. <laughs> he brings his uh, Spurs side back to Molyneux to play against wolves in the second match of the season. Wolves going to be in front of their home side. but you know Nuno really brought this team up from the, the lower dredges of English football, and now they're an established team in the Premier League. And you know I think that this is going to be a warm welcome for Nuno and probably not as warm a welcome for the Spurs side. But uh, that's definitely a match that I have earmarked to watch uh, this coming game week too.
0: We got to get a sponsor for that Invitational for some kind of Portuguese port. I think that would probably be a good uh, sponsor to have for the Nuno Invitational. But uh, another match that we are very excited for is Chelsea versus Arsenal. Some of London's, well, London's finest team and then another team in London. So we're very eager to watch this match coming up here. And Bucks, what are you expecting in this?
1: Yeah, I think this is going to be a very entertaining London Derby. I think Chelsea are going to get the three points. That's not just my heart speaking. That's also based on what I watched in game week one and just the overall depth of the side. I think you saw some of the shortcomings of Arsenal. I mean, I said this last season, but Joe Willick, who's a player they just sold to Newcastle, was a player they definitely could have used on Friday against Brentford. He's a really young, classy, attacking player. And they're just a little bit short on depth for a team that, at least in their mind, are one of the top squads in the Premier League. So this is definitely going to be a tough match for the Gunners and probably one that will take some joy in as Chelsea fans.
0: Yeah, at the same time, I don't want to take them lightly. I feel like last season, you know, even though Chelsea did quite well in the Premier League, they did take some matches off. And, you know, if you take Arsenal for granted, they might come out strong and, and, uh, you know, come out swinging. So I think Chelsea still has to be locked in and bring in a good defensive uh, presence for this match.
1: Yeah, Balogun might have his guns blazing and and fully loaded for this match.
0: (laughs) All right, and then the last match we want to call out is West Ham versus Leicester. This should be a really fun peer watch, and I'm going to be very interested to see how the West Ham defense holds up against the likes of Vardy, Madison, and Barnes from attacking perspective. So I could see that one being you know a, a fun three-two type of game, pretty open counter-attacking football. Antonio on the break, Vardy on the break. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to watching that match. You know, we'll we'll both be again owning Antonio, so hoping that he can do the business for us in FPL.
1: Yeah, I think this is a game to watch because both of these sides think of themselves as being able to really hang with the big clubs and they're definitely competing and probably in that second tier of teams competing for the title or at least competing for European play uh, this season. So I think this is a match that both of them definitely have circled on their schedule. West Ham wants to show up big against a team that's probably a little ahead of schedule and ahead of where they see themselves being in a couple of seasons. And Lester, you know, they still have a ton of talent. Brendan Rodgers, one of the best managers in the Premier League. So I think these are two kind of sleeping giants or two, uh, you know, up upstart Davids looking to uh, really make their mark.
0: <laughs> I mean, if Brendan Rodgers is one of the best managers in the Premier League, why does he insist on starting Iose Perez? Somebody tell me that. I, I don't see the value. He's like a super sub guy. And uh, he keeps coming on to the pitch and keeping Nacho on the bench. But anyway, I think it's also important in this match for managers to understand how real Ben Rama is. Is he still going to be you know, a blazing force on the pitch and being creative and you know really playing the full 90? So he's definitely a player I'll be locked on to for that match
1: as well. And lastly, we want to just touch on our transfer plans and our strategy going into game week two. I'll start with mine. I'm going to stand pat and roll my transfer over to game week three. So I'm not going to be making a move for game week two. I am slightly worried about not having a Manchester City player as they take it to Norwich City. But, you know, I knew what I was signing up for when I made my squad for the season. And I'm pretty happy with the 100 point total game week one. So hopefully we'll be uh, having a similarly strong showing in game week two. How about you Brian?
0: Yeah, I was talking to some managers in our mini league and don't expect to be hitting triple digits every week, you know. We've had game weeks last year where people were in the low 30s. So, this game week was was truly a, a scorching one. So, I'm hoping, you know, that next week I can roll my transfer again since you just kind of picked a very brand new team. There really isn't a need to make many changes yet. Back your picks and understand that if you have two transfers going to game week 3, that really allows you to play with the structure of, of your lineup. So for me, I'm really eyeing, you know, Mares to hopefully do the business versus Norwich and then potentially bring in Sun for that slot uh, as a, as a kind of a big time uh, player in my midfield. So that'll be for hopefully for game week three, and we'll see how that shakes out.
1: Awesome. And that brings us to a close, ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank the 50 plus managers who have already joined our FPL blues podcast, Super League on the FPL game. If you want to have your question featured, please email us at fplbluespodcast at gmail.com or follow us on social media and reach out to us. We are at FPL Blues Podcast, both on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, it's been a great season so far. So Brian and I are giving strong advice. We're both in the triple digit club to start the season. So if you want to follow our lead and and kind of learn a little and follow along, get involved, get more engaged with our podcast, it's going to be fun. There's going to be swag to the winner and regular shout out. So it's been a fun season so far. So we want it to only continue from here on. In.
0: Yes, it's a marathon. We'll be with you every step of the way. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode and we'll catch you all soon.